0: Death was arrested my life began Oh we're free free forever free. Come join the song of all the reading Yes we're free free forever amen When death was arrested in my life began When death was arrested in my life began When death was arrested in my, my life Listen life to these began. verses from Psalm chapter 90. This is Moses writing. He says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night and just thinking about that phrase from everlasting to everlasting you are God you know as we go through the this uh, book of Hebrews and we're reminded of all these examples of faith you know the one thing that they had in common was they had faith in a great God and that's us today too you know our some of us have stronger faith some have weaker faith but we all place our faith in the same God, the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. And as we lift our, our eyes to him in worship, um, you know, we're, we're asking for us to increase our faith, to, to help us to be people who are, will put our trust and our hope in him. So let's uh, we'll sing out together. Uh, let me just uh, pray for a moment. Father, uh, we ask that you would just uh, fill our hearts with thoughts of you, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that again, you would draw our eyes to the one who is worthy of our praise. It's in your name we pray.
1: Can't encourage you enough uh, to be uh, aware of what's going on. Also, you said you opened your bulletin and you saw, oh, there's something going on with Haiti. Yeah, there is something going on with Haiti. And there's also something going on next week as we take up a special offering for uh, Lucas and Lois. And there's also something going on as we take up an offering in May for a quarterly mission offering for our missionaries. So there's a lot going on. I'm just asking you to take a breath and pray about where God would want you to be involved, what God would want you to do, and to let us maybe put into practice some of what we're studying in the Word of God about faith and trusting God for things. I didn't have this on my my plan, but I wanted to uh, say that uh, there there was somebody up here singing. I had no clue who this lady is, but uh, uh, Ruth and John, this is your daughter, right? And tell me your name again. Jennifer. Jennifer. Uh, Many of you probably know her, but I've never met her before. But uh, Jennifer and her husband are serving as missionaries in Costa Rica. Is that correct? Yeah. So praise God for that. Thank you, Jennifer, for uh, leading us in worship and worshiping with us this morning. Let's pray as we prepare to enter the word of God. Father, uh, what a neat time for us to come and to just worship you, the God of angel armies, who goes before us, who stands behind us, who walks beside us, who cares about us. I pray that you would wash over our hearts with deep truths from your word. Help us to understand and to apply and to read and to let these things soak into us to see this for what it is. It's not the word of men. It is the word of God. We pray for your work in each of our hearts, for your glory and your gain of your kingdom. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there was a, a father who uh, took his son in a big city and he dropped him off at a, uh, a really busy Oh, children, yeah, I'm sorry. Young people, you can, uh, you can be dismissed for Sunday school. You don't want to listen to me, maybe, so that's all right. You can get out of here. And some adults will sneak out with them, probably. That's okay. Anyhow, up through fifth grade, you're, you're dismissed. Or if you want to stay with your parents, that's cool, too. We're, we're good with that. Well, there was this, uh, this young boy. He was left at the street corner of a busy city, busy intersection, and his father told him, he says, look, you stand in front of this department store until I return. i got a short errand to run, and I'll be right back. Through a series of unforeseen events, the short errand turned into a five-hour ordeal. And when the father came back and drove up to the busy intersection, he saw his boy gazing in the huge window looking at the merchandise in the large department store that he had left him in front of before he took off. He parked his car and he ran up to his son and he said, Son, are you okay? Are you okay? Were you concerned? Were you worried that I wouldn't, you know, wasn't going to come? And the boy looked at him kind of startled and he said, no, I, you said you'd come back after you ran your errand, so I really wasn't concerned that you wouldn't come back. I didn't think it'd take this long, but I wasn't worried in the least. The young boy was standing on the promise of his father. He had accepted it with great confidence, and then in willful obedience, he Stayed in front of the department store until his father returned. What a beautiful picture that is is portrayed in there that is illustrated in the same way in Hebrews chapter 11. In verses 20 through 22, as we look at three more fathers of the faith who, through their example, illustrate for us what it means to stand on the promises of God. In the same way that the father of the young boy was pleased because his son had accepted what he had said on faith and acted in obedience, so too our Heavenly Father is pleased when we take his promises for what they are and we live our lives according to them. The examples that we've been looking at in Hebrews chapter 11, and that's where we've been for if you're just coming in new are examples of faith, authentic faith. And these examples of authentic faith that are listed there are intended to, and I'm going to use a word, to steal us, to solidify us, to strengthen us in our confidence in God's promises. And they're also intended to stimulate us to obedience, confident obedience in God's word because we understand that Only authentic faith enables us to endure, endure, endure until the preserving of our souls. Unto the preserving of our souls. It's the end. We have to endure, and the only way to endure is to be authentically, genuinely pursuing God in faith. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20 through 22, and three more examples of fathers of the faith whose lives highlight three facets of authentic faith that are needed for us to stand on the promises of God. What are these three facets? We're going to read the text in Hebrews chapter 11, and I think the number the page number on the bible that's underneath the seat in front of you is listed in the bulletin on the outline there i forgot to get the number of it i don't know what is that page number somebody tell me nobody has it what 852 852 in the in the pew bibles i'm in hebrews chapter 11 i'm going to read the text and then we'll begin to unpack what these three are here we go hebrews chapter 11 beginning with verse 20 by faith isaac blessed jacob and esau even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. There we are, three times, by faith, by faith, by faith. And as we've been going through, this is the trigger. This is the example. This is the illustration that's marked out by these words. First, we see the the tenacity of our faith. We're looking at three guys. Now, we looked at Abraham. And these are the other three guys, main big-picture guys in the book of Genesis. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Okay, And these three men did not always live in obedience to God. Yet their actions at the end of their lives, as we see in the text prove them exemplary models of unswerving commitment to believe God's promises and his prescriptions and what he said. So here I have, by faith, Isaac. Now, the text here, if you remember when I read it, for all the other guys, it says he was dying. So Isaac, it doesn't say he was dying, but he was. Okay, We know that from the context of Genesis. The others in the text, it says... Isaac, and then Jacob. Jacob was dying, and Joseph was dying, and so they did this when they were dying. They knew they were dying, and Isaac as well. He was about to die, and he pronounced the blessing. Now, Isaac was like his dad, Abraham. He had been known for lying, and so he wasn't always truthful and always walking with God. And the circumstances surrounding this blessing that he pronounced on his two sons, Jacob and Esau, is fraught with treachery and deception and all sorts of mishmash in their lives. Anything from, was, it doesn't seem like authentic faith, but the author of Hebrews rivets our attention on this one incident in their life when he blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau. And he did bless both of them. And that's recorded in Genesis chapter 27 is where the the blessing and all this stuff takes place. You can read it later if you want. I'm not going to get into all the detail. But he rivets our attention on Isaac's faith in the face of death. Here he is in the face of death. Now, I think Isaac knew that he was the son of promise. He was the one through whom God would bless God's lineage of of Abraham's descendants. Genesis chapter 17, Abraham was told, no, you're going to have this son. And Isaac was the son promised in Genesis 17. And then in Genesis 22, when Abraham was going to offer up Isaac, Isaac was there when the angel appeared and told Abraham, no, not this guy. Uh, He's going to, in his seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God spared his life. And the earlier promises... Given to Abraham. The promises of a posterity. Prolific posterity. I mean, lots of children, okay? Descendants. And, and possession of property, a land. And then personal prosperity, blessing, and blessing through him. All of those would come through Isaac. This is Genesis 12 and 22. When Isaac approached death, it was evident that all that God had promised... Would not be possessed by him. you think about that. God had promised this stuff. And he had promised it through him. He had promised it to Abraham. And then Abraham through Isaac. And now Isaac is going. Wait a second. I'm about ready to die. And I haven't seen this stuff. I mean I don't have this prolific number of descendants. I certainly don't own any land in Canaan. And yeah, there's a level of material prosperity that I do have, but not all the nations of the earth haven't been blessed through me by any means. These were the things that Isaac was promising and speaking of, things yet to come through Jacob and Esau, things yet to come. Rather than becoming bitter, Isaac became better. The circumstances made him better. Isaac stood firm on the promises of God and he invested those promises with such certainty that he passed them along to his sons by faith. Okay, it hasn't happened to me. It's going to happen to you. Passed it along by faith. He believed with certainty. He considered the promise of what he did not possess as if he possessed it. I could give it to you. I know a, a person that based on the promise of a, uh, they placed certainty in a promise of a certain rate of return on a, uh, investing in a certain financial instrument, and they invested such certainty in the promise that they invested heavily. And they lost a lot of money. They invested great certainty in a promise from someone whom they couldn't trust Abraham and Isaac had invested certainty the tenacity of our faith and you see what I mean when I'm saying tenacity what I mean is that they they held on to this promise Abraham held on to the promise and it didn't happen to him and Isaac and it was to come through Isaac and then Isaac held on to the promise and he was about to die and he hadn't seen it fulfilled and yet he held on to the promise The tenacity of our faith is rooted in the trustworthiness of the promise. And the trustworthiness of the promise is in direct proportion to the trustworthiness of the person who made the promise. God made the promise. By faith, Jacob, we see in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying. uh, And we know Jacob wasn't flawless either. Uh, He's kind of a scoundrel in his own right. Um, but twice, twice, once in Genesis 28 and once in Genesis 46, the promise of Isaac, the promise of Abraham, the promise of Isaac, was also repeated to Jacob in you. all The, the promise of this posterity, the promise of this possession of property, this promise of personal prosperity was given to him twice. That it's going to happen through you, Jacob. But as he approached death, he was living in Egypt. He wasn't living in the promised land. And his family was not, you know, didn't have all that many descendants. There was like 70 of them, right, went down into Egypt. And they had gained a certain level of material prosperity, but certainly through them all the nations of the earth had not been blessed. And so there he is. And the text says that as he approached death, he was living there, And he was ready to pass down. And so Joseph brought his sons, the youngest, Joseph is the youngest of Jacob, brought his sons to Jacob to be blessed. And what does Jacob do? Joseph presents them, the eldest on the right and the youngest on the left, and they come up to to Jacob, and Jacob crosses his hands so that he pronounces the greatest blessing upon the youngest son. So that Ephraim, He says this, the the promise already given to Abraham, the promise already given to Isaac, the promise given to himself, now he pronounces to Ephraim. He says, Ephraim and Manasseh are mine, may my name live on in them. It's not going to happen to me. It didn't happen to dad, it didn't happen to grandpa, it didn't happen to me. Maybe it's going to happen to them. He believed that Joseph's sons were the ones through whom the posterity and the property and the prosperity would be made evident. They would be fully realized, and their ancestors then would be recognized. Um, nothing could thwart his confidence in God's word. Remember the little boy standing in the busy street looking in the department store window? Five hours. Nothing deterred his confidence in the trustworthiness of his dad's word and his confidence that his dad would come through. And that's the same we see in these guys. And then, by faith, Joseph, same. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Joseph. At the end of Joseph's life, his father's entire household lived in Egypt. (laughs) Everybody was there. And Joseph was there. And he was about to die. It's about 200 years since God had made this promise to Abraham. Then it came to Isaac. Then it came to Jacob. And now here we have Joseph. And none of them, no prolific posterity, it's about to happen in Egypt as we know the story of history. There was no, nobody had any property, except I know you can say, well, Abraham bought a little place to, to bury Sarah. Yeah, okay, that, that's true. But that's not like possessing the land. And then there was no real, there was, there was material prosperity, but still, through them, all the nations of the earth had been blessed, just them. And so here they are. And we see in, in, in Joseph, The two components of tenacious faith. First of all, there was an articulation. He articulated his belief in God's promises. I want you to, I think we have a slide of Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, where Joseph is at the end of the book of Genesis. He is doing this. It says, and Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he has promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God will bring you up. Notice in Hebrews eleven twenty two it says he made mention of the exodus. Well, this is it. He says, God's going to take you up from here. But we know from history that didn't happen for a long time. Joseph died, and they were there for a long time before that ever happened. But he articulated the promise. He instilled the, the words of Joseph that there was going to be an exodus, and then they would return to the promised land, and then the land would be theirs. They'd have this land. It was given to instill confidence. He repeated the truth that, hey, i been believing for a long time to instill confidence and to give comfort. And you know, that's what we need sometimes. You say, well, yeah, I just, I'm discouraged. I'm hurting right now. I'm scared. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm, I'm going to go to a- Southeast Asia. I don't know who I'm going to see, where I'm going to go, who I'm going to meet, what's going to happen to me. You're going to go to work tomorrow. You're going to go, I don't know. There's some people there I don't really like. And I'm supposed to live for Jesus. And it's kind of hard. And we need to be reminded of the the truths, the promises of God's word to encourage us and to steal our confidence in this faith and to stimulate us to be obedient. I remember as a freshman in college, my roommate was a very difficult person. He mocked my faith. He tried to use reasoning and argumentation to undermine my convictions about Christ. He refused to bathe or to wash his clothes because he was conserving water. He registered unwillingly at that time, signed up for his selective service, and then he led protests all over campus and in the city against the Selective Service registration and he uh, publicly burned his registration card and made a mockery of of that. His presence in my dorm room doubled at least my stress level of being a freshman in college. And I remember getting a, a note from my dad and my dad referred me to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 he had written just written Colossians 2 8 through 10 at the bottom of the note let no one take you captive through philosophy or empty deception after the traditions of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. I knew that, but I needed to be reminded of it. Because when I was reminded of it, it my confidence and it stimulated my obedience and I think that Joseph is articulating to his family the truth that had been coming down for generations of generations and he had yet not been fulfilled fully so that they would not lose heart and give up. And then he acted on the belief in Genesis chapter 50, verse 25. He, he acted on it. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Now, I don't have those verses together, but he repeats two phrases, the same phrase twice in those two verses. God will surely take care of you. Do you believe that this morning? The God of angel armies, I know who stands, goes before me, I know who comes behind, I know who stands beside me, he's always by my side. I don't know every one of your circumstances, but I know your God, if you're here trusting in Christ, he is with you. And the question is, you say, "But I haven't seen him for a long time." Well, how many years were the children of Israel in the land of Egypt? Four hundred years. <laughs> what? He gave a promise to Abraham, then he gave it to Isaac, and then he gave it to Jacob, and then he gave it to Joseph. And Joseph says, "Hey, you know, you guys, you're going to go back to Egypt, and when's that, or back to uh, to Canaan? When's that going to happen?" He didn't ask that. He just said it's going to happen, and when it happens, take my bones because I want to be buried in the promised land. And he acted with full assurance. Joseph was 17 when he entered Egypt. He was 110 when he died. His bones were taken up probably at least a couple centuries after that. Don't know the exact math, but it was a long time. Well, on their deathbeds, well, on their deathbeds, these three men, calmly and confidently maintained the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And they, they, they provide for us encouragement. By faith they passed on to their ancestors that which they had never seen fully fulfilled in their own life. They, convinced, they were convinced that God's word is true, that it never fails, and they obeyed. See, tenacious faith believes the word of God and then behaves accordingly. There's another aspect to this that we want to look at. It's not just that there's this tenacious faith that enables us to stand. There is this total surrender of faith that enables us. Each of these three patriarchs, I found it interesting that each of these three patriarchs were submissive to what I would say was the unexpected and undesirable outworking of God's plan. The way God was going about this was not what they expected and was not what they they desired. Because in each case, it was the youngest through whom God said he would do the work. And they were able to accept that. Isaac, unwittingly and unintentionally blessed the younger son, and we know it was a scoundrel, you know, Jacob, you know, connived and worked it out, and some of you don't know that, but that's okay. He was a scoundrel, and he tricked his dad, because dad in his old age didn't know anything, and mom was party to it, and you read the text, and you go, how can this happen? Well, after it's all over, and Isaac has blessed Jacob with the greatest blessing, and then Joseph with a little bit of blessing, Jacob says, this is the way it's going to happen. So in Genesis chapter 27, verse 33, Jacob says, and he will be blessed. And Isaac trembled violently. So there you go. You read it on the the screen. He wasn't happy camper that the youngest had deceived him and been blessed. And said, who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate all of it before you came and blessed? He's speaking to his oldest son, Esau. Yes, and he shall be blessed. There it is. I don't like this, but this is the way it's going down. And he shall be blessed. And in Isaac, I I see that he yielded to the fact that God is not confined. Our plans, our patterns, our purposes are not necessarily God's, they're all subject to his prerogative. God's ways are not slave to man's preferences. Some of you are familiar with Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord. Neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways greater than yours and my thoughts than yours. So, why is it that certain people get sick in ways that we can't explain? Why is it that there is, you know, our family is hit by the effects of divorce, or that we have a child that walks away from the faith, or why is it that I haven't found my soulmate yet, or what is going on in my circumstance? God's ways are not my ways. Isaiah says it. Jacob, same thing. Isaac uh, had this problem. Jacob had the same problem. He surrendered to God's plan because when Joseph brought his sons up there, what was Jacob doing? He was blessing the younger, intentionally blessing the younger. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. Well, you say, well, yeah, but he was blessed and he was younger, so maybe that's what he's doing. I don't know. The text doesn't say that, but what I do know is that he rebuked his son Joseph who said, no, father, you should bless the older. He says, no, I'm blessing the younger because that's God's plan. And it's through him that these promises will be fulfilled. He reflected God's preference. And then we have Joseph, same thing, initial objection. He initially objected to the blessing of the youngest, and then he gave way and submitted to the obedience of God's plan. I was, so my point in this is what I see in the text is there's a total surrender. to God's promise and God's prescription for what God calls and puts in our life. I don't understand it all. I just know that tenacious faith submits to God's will in his way. I was just talking to a believer recently, and this person's family has gone through a horrible difficulty in which some of the people in the family are at odds with other people in the family because certain people have sinned against others in the family, but some people are still refusing to submit and by faith accept God's promise and God's prescription that you forgive even if you're not asked for forgiveness. And this is Matthew chapter 5. And some people refuse to do that. They don't surrender and submit to, to, to God's plan. And that's not... God's will. Tenacious and totally surrendered faith means that we claim and we cling to the promises of God and we comply regardless of our circumstance or our preference. I don't want to forgive somebody who's offended me. Now, if they come to me and they say, you know, I'm really sorry. Oh, okay, I I I can I can, you know, in my flesh, I can palp- palpably yeah, accept that maybe, but. Mostly not. I'm really still too stubborn. So, if somebody who doesn't confess that they've offended me, I'm supposed to forgive them? <laughs> no. Yeah, it's a Jesus thing. It's not humanly possible, it's not something we do in our flesh. But this is the thing that God has called us to. Mark Twain said it this way It is not what we do not understand about God's word that troubles us. It's what we do understand that troubles us. Now, now think with me for a few moments about that. By faith, God's promise of his presence, and you can see this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. He says, I'll never leave. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus Christ and his death alone is the payment for your sin, then you have been indwelt with the Spirit of God and the Lord Jesus Christ has promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise. But I wondered, does that promise translate into our lives such that the presence of God provides comfort in our loneliness, as a widow, as a widower, as a single person, as a single again person, as a married person whose spouse is completely distant from us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I feel pretty empty and lonely right now, Jesus. Does does it translate that he was present with us? Does that translate into the fact that he is enough? That in Hebrews chapter 13, he says that we, we we don't have to be greedy. We shouldn't pursue other things. He says, I'll be enough. Is he enough or do I have to have the next, new, latest, greatest, and best? Or is the presence of God enough for me? Is his presence enough as I go into my family gathering and everybody there is hostile to Jesus and me because I'm a follower of Jesus except maybe one person? His presence, he's promised his presence. What about his provision? He's promised to provide for us. He says, yeah, but you don't know where my checkbook's at. (laughs) Well, I don't. What about the, our, our, our friends and family and just neighbors in southwest Iowa? Where do you think they're living at right now? You know, how would you, I, I can't even imagine to have my house inundated up to the roof and farm ground that will not be in production for probably one or two years because it's been overrun with silt and muck and mud. and God will provide. God will provide for our finances. He'll enable us to trust him enough to give generously as we think about these mission opportunities that God will provide. God will enable us to seek him wholeheartedly instead of, I got to go to work, I got to make money, I got to pay the bills, I got to do this, I got to do this. Instead, I'm going to slow down and connect with God because God said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you need will be added to you. That's faith. That's faith. That's obedience. And God's pardon. He's promised that he will forgive us through the person and the work of Jesus who died on the cross as the payment for our sins. If we put our faith or our trust in what he did as the payment for our sins, we'll be forgiven. So what does that promise of pardon mean to you and me? It means that the addiction that I struggle with Or the temptation that's particularly acute to me. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's profanity. Maybe it's outbursts of anger. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's greed. That God will liberate me. That he has power to free me from its rule in my life. And he has power to deliver me to an eternity with him in heaven. That pardon means that I am a new creature in Christ Jesus, that I'm not defined by how other people look at me. It's not what my looks. I don't have to look like, you know, Brad Pitt or Justin Bieber or you put in whoever you want to look like. I don't have to wear the certain kind of clothes. That's not who I am. I don't have to have my name in lights. I'm precious in my father's eyes. Does that resonate with you because you've been pardoned? Or are you still trying to meet everybody else's expectation in order to gain validation that you are worth something? No, he's promised us that through his pardon, we are permanently his. His pardon enables me to serve. I don't have to live for me. I'm not living for me anymore. It's not about me anymore. What about his perspective? His perspective is God says, you know, I'm opposed to the proud. I give grace to the humble. Okay. So God is is one who desires humility. So then I... Ask Him for grace to be more humble. His power, hes promised is His power. The Spirit of God living within us, if we put our faith or our trust in Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us. That's God's, uh, the Son's presence with us enables us to, to know Him. It produces boldness in our witness. You think, I don't know, I just really, I, I, I'm scared to talk to people about Jesus. Yeah, so am I. So was Paul. But we have the Spirit of God within us. See, it's not us. It's not us. It's not just, okay, i got to pull myself up my, my bootstraps and strap on my Jesus people clothes and go out and be a Green Beret Jesus guy. It's, I need Christ. You see, the same grace that brings saving faith, is the same grace that brings sustaining faith. I have been crucified with Christ, Paul says. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It is Christ in us that enables us to walk by faith, to be tenacious, and to be totally surrendered. Some of you here are lonely. Some of you are emotionally fragile. Some of you are happy, and praise God for that some of you are distressed and some of us are depressed some of us are struggling with physical ailments that you know some of us are at a stage in life that's not so fun you know it's really not fun when the major content of your conversation is which doctor's appointment you had and what it is that they diagnosed and what medication they're prescribing that's not a really deep meaningful conversation Some of us are struggling to make ends meet. And I see in Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, faith, eyes fixed. They call us to take God's word for it. To stand on the promises some people here might need to admit that we are in living rebellion against a holy and righteous God. And we deserve his wrath. We need to believe that Jesus Christ paid the debt that we deserve to pay and then confess him as our Lord and Savior. If we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we'll be saved from all the troubles of life? No. But from the sin that condemns us to hell. Others of us, to stand on the promises of God, we need to take steps of faith stand on the trust, to take his word for it and spend some time with him and trust that all the other stuff I need to get done or think I need to get done will get done. To pray that God would open a door for the word that I may be able to speak it clearly as I ought to speak it as Paul prays in Colossians 4. Some of us need to take a, take a step of faith and Brandon's taking a step of faith and going to Southeast Asia or somewhere We got some people taking a step of faith going, hey, some of us need to take a step of faith and and give financially so these people can go. All of us need to take a step of faith and pray so that they will be carried on the wings of the Spirit of God and that everything that's done will be done by His power and not in the human flesh. Some of us need just take a step of faith and greet our neighbors and build a relationship with them and try to pray for them that God would give us opportunity to share Jesus with them and show Jesus to them. Some of us need to be stepping out in faith and inviting our neighbors and friends to come to hear the gospel when we do the Easter egg hunt and then the next day when we have the glorious celebration of Easter Sunday, we need to step out in faith and some of us need to step out in faith just to to get up tomorrow morning and go to work and to believe that God is with me and that I am valued in him. It's not about us, it's Christ in us. And that God wants to use us and that your story is an important story because it's part of his story. We need to believe that. Tenacious and totally surrendered faith believes God's word and behaves accordingly. And then finally, it's not just about tenacious faith that enables us to stand on the promises. There's a totally surrendered faith, but there is a tenderness. If you're paying attention to the text, you'll notice I skipped over a part of Jacob in In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, it says, By faith Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. That's the first aspect of his faith. But secondly, and he worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. To worship is, is, I think, involves both a physical posture and a spiritual demeanor. And the spiritual demeanor is reflected in the physical posture. So he leaned on his staff. He was humbled. It is to acknowledge that God is the God of angel armies. His power, his grace, his sovereignty. He is in control. And it's his life that is my life. My life is his life. And I don't write the script. I just live it. And sometimes I wonder why it's going the way it's going, and I don't understand it. But that's not for me to question, it's for me to follow. And I need God's grace to do it. Here, I want you to see in Genesis chapter 48, verse 16, how it is that Jacob demonstrated this. He says, the angel who has redeemed me, this is his testimony, from all evil, bless the lads. This is when he's blessing his sons. And may my name live on in them and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and may they grow into a multitude. Notice he says, and the angel has redeemed me from all evil. This is that God had, had, had worked in his heart. Tenderness leads to trustworthiness and trustworthiness leads to tenaciousness and total surrender. You see, we can't stand on the premises unless we've, Spent time in His presence, as I get to know this God whom I serve, then I it's a whole lot easier to trust Him and and to serve Him. You know, unbelievers often question the Bible. They say the Bible's not reliable. You know, this Bible's is just uh, true is full of errors. You know, full of mistakes and full of contradictions. Amazing thing about the stories behind what we have been looking at this morning. Is that without fail, all of them have either been fulfilled or they are being fulfilled. All of these promises have been or are being fulfilled. Posterity, a prolific posterity. Well, how many sons of Abraham? I mean, there are millions and millions of. of physiological descendants of Abraham, but there are even more millions of spiritually descendants, spiritual descendants of Abraham. In Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 9 talks about that we're, we're sons of Abraham by faith. Well, that sounds to me like through him all the nations of the earth being blessed, which is part of the promise. And there's a land, and there, there's a, you know, debates about whether we say, well, okay, we should make a big deal about Israel being back in the land, but even the land that they have now is just a temporary thing because finally, fully, in the ultimate consummation, it's going to be their land and, 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 and the land of God's people. So it's not fully, but will be finally fulfilled. So if you're here this morning and you're a skeptic, it's like, okay, I can understand that. But when you look at the facts... The truth of God's word is, is being fulfilled and acted out. So there's reason to trust this God who promises these things because he actually comes through on his promises. For believers, you know, I don't know, just I, I, I'm going to say this again. You know, what, is, what keeps you from spending time with God? We cannot stand on his promises unless we spend time in his presence. I want to close with this poem, what God has promised. God has not promised skies always blue, flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, peace without pain. God has not promised we shall not know toil and temptation, trouble and woe. He has not told us we shall not bear many a burden, many a care. But God has promised strength for the day, Rest for the laborer, light for the way. Grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, and undying love. And he proved his undying love most visibly in the sacrifice of his son at Calvary. I don't know whatever you go through, but whenever I go through, I come back to this, I say, I I don't know if God loves me, I wonder about, look to the cross. The love that saves those who put their trust or their faith in Christ indwells us and graciously empowers us to walk by faith. It It is God's love in me. The sacrifice of Christ in me that enables me to see it as my calling and my blessed glory to love others as he loved me. Tenacity in our faith. Total surrender in our faith and the tenderness of our faith. Three aspects essential in standing on the promises And each of these things, as we come now to remember Christ on the cross, by faith we accept. That the bread that we break and the cup that we drink are symbols of his body broken and his blood shed so that all, 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 everyone who trusts in Christ's death as the payment they deserve may be forgiven, may have this pardon, may have this peace, may have the promise of paradise, may have the promise of his power, the promise of his presence, the promise of pardon, all of these things. And the promise of purpose in life. By faith we appreciate You know, part of communion is appreciating what God has done in Christ for us. Part of it is we anticipate the glories of heaven and part of it is we announce it to the world. If you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to come and celebrate the the death of Christ that provided the basis for us to have faith in his promises. Father, as we come to your table, may you, do your work in us to accomplish, and to drive home the application of your truth. I pray, dear Jesus, if anyone doesn't know you, that they would put their trust in you. They would wave the white flag of surrender and yield their sinful, selfish, directed life to trust you. And those of us who know you, may we rejoice and may you give us grace to walk by faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.